Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. Last week we began looking at relationships in the church. We talked about leaders and followers last week. Leaders and followers, we looked at verses 12 and 13. How we are to know those who labor among you, laboring, leading, and then admonishing. The importance of admonishing one another in the Lord. And finish looking there at verse 13 and be at peace among yourselves. But this morning we want to look at verses 14 and 15 specifically. Last week dealt with leaders and followers. This is just one another. Titled it this morning, Help for the Hurting. Help for the Hurting. I want to read verses 14 and 15 again, and I think you'll see two kinds, generally speaking, of hurting people in these verses. Those who are hurting inside and those who hurt others. And as we think about helping hurting people, I'm thankful how God brings messages together with what's going on in our church's life and families in our church and what the Lord's going, doing in your life as well. So let's read these two verses, verse 13 and, I'm sorry, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. That's talking about those who are hurting inside. And then verse 15 speaks about those who are hurting others. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. If the church is a body, and the Bible speaks about it over and over as being the body of Christ, we think of a church as being like a family, where we ought to love one another and care for one another, then I would tell you, just as in a body, every body part is important, so every member of a church is important. Every member of the body of Christ matters. We believe here that there should be no sheep left behind, but everybody matters. So then, how do we help hurting people? It takes work, doesn't it? sometimes hurts you to help others who are hurting. Because hurting people sometimes hurt people. How do we help those who are hurting? Well, we've got six kind of small points this morning that help us. As he gives us six different things here, two are little summary items, and then four very specific things here in verse 14. He says, first of all, we exhort you. This is a very similar plea that he made back in verse number 12 when he said, we beseech you. This is not, if you feel like it, if everything's okay in your life, this is, this is something you must be doing. We exhort you to do this. What does he exhort us to do? He says, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Warn the unruly. So the first thing we must do is warn the unruly. Who are the unruly? Well, another word that might be used here is those who are idlers. Those who are idle. 
The idea of being unruly really can go two different directions. There's a, a passive idea to unruliness and a very active idea to unruliness. We know what the active idea to unruliness is, those who are actively causing problems, right? We think of unruly children. But some of us as adults can be quite unruly ourselves at times, can't we? Warn the unruly. Why do we need to do this? Well, there's a lot of help for us in both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians about this. Let me just read to you from 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. That word disorderly brings it with it that idea that we just saw back in 1st Thessalonians of being unruly. He says, not after the tradition which ye received of us, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Paul says, we were not disorderly. Notice verse 8, though, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see that passive side of unruliness. It's the idea of just being lazy. Taking advantage of others. Paul said, we didn't do that. We came to minister to you and we worked hard ourselves. We didn't just eat your bread. We didn't just come in and take advantage of the things that you had to offer. No, we worked hard to serve among yeah. you. He said, we didn't want to be chargeable to any of you. Doesn't that happen sometimes in ministry where we, we, we it usually comes when we take ownership of something and we say, this is my ministry, this is what I exist to do, and everybody here exists to serve me so I can minister? That sounds like a pastor whose head has gotten a little too big for his shoulders. You see, yes... I have a responsibility to minister as a pastor and to preach. And yes, the church, we read about the church taking care of the pastor and all those things. But I'm not here just so you can take care of me. I'm here so that I can serve God. Being unruly has an active idea. Those who act contrary to what they're supposed to be doing, causing problems, out there stirring up strife, being disorderly, it also has that passive idea of just being lazy and taking advantage. Saying, you know, why doesn't someone come along and sweep this up, take care of me for a little while so that I can do what I want to do? If you keep reading here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says in verse 9, not because we have not power. In other words, Paul's saying we could have asked you to do all these things for us. He says, but rather to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Paul said we wanted to be an example. We wanted to be an example of service, of ministry to others. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if, ye, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So don't come in and, and take the bread. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. God, don't come in and take the Shipley's donuts. 
and not be willing to serve. Some of you are like, I should have worn my steel-toed boots today because he just went there. Don't mess with my Shipley's Donuts. Neither should he eat. This is convicting, isn't it? It's convicting to me. It's convicting to all of us because our natural tendency, I would say, is toward unruliness. Because we're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We tend to want to take advantage of others, whether through laziness and expecting someone else to pick up the slack for me, or through just causing problem. He speaks about gossipers and slanders and those who are busybodies. That's the idea of being unruly. He tells us how to deal with those folks, how to help those people. He says, warn them. Paul was warning the church at Thessalonica about behaving in this way. Why? Because that kind of behavior is unhealthy for the body. It's unhealthy for the church. He says here, he speaks about it, verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all but are busybodies. I found this in a church. Those who are ministering to one another in a church, they either don't have the time don't have the energy, or maybe just don't have the desire to be gossipers and cause problems at the same time. It's those that are not faithful, those who are not serving, those who are not working as God would have them to work. Those are the ones that have time to cause problems. Because here's what happens when you serve in a church. It becomes your church. And you want to take care of something that's yours, don't you? You don't want to tear up something. If you really love it, it's yours. You want to take care of it. But you know how it is. Maybe some of you, you go on a trip, you go on vacation, you're on a work thing, and you get that rental car. You probably drive those rental cars a little differently than you drive your own car. You're like, all right, let's go fast. <laughs> let's see what this baby will do. You know, you want to have fun in that thing. Why? Because it's not yours. You treat it differently if it's yours. When you walk into your house, when it's your house, and you clean that house, and you paid for that house, and you take care of that house, you treat it differently because it's yours. And I think as a church, we want it to be our church. Don't look at this church and say, well, that's Pastor Will's church. That's their church. I want you to be able to say, this is my church. This is our church. Ultimately, it's the Lord's church. And we want to serve Him together. So He's very clear on how to help those who are unruly. He says, warn them. Notice what He says down in verse 13. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Sometimes all this work in the church, it can become weariness, can't it? We get tired another Sunday. Another class. Those children in Awana are not going to have my full energy tonight. It's been a long week. Not sure if I want to go do that. Oh, I have to go out and hand out an invitation. This is a lot of work. So thankful as we're faithful. Be not weary in well-doing. Why? 
Why should we not be weary in well-doing? Keep reading. He says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Verse 15, Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I wanted to make sure to read through all this. Because some of us love to do the warning. Oh, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them that they're causing problems. Let them know. Admonish him as a brother. Love him. Care for him. But sometimes loving somebody is letting them know that they're not where they need to be. That they're unruly, that they're out of line. But it's not for the purpose of beating them up or proving that we're better than them, but rather to love them as a brother. Because if they're part of the family, if they're part of the body, the body is not whole without them. Kicking them out of the body, removing them from the body, while might be necessary in the moment to keep infection from spreading, the goal is ultimately to restore them into the body so that the body might continue to grow and be whole. So how do we help the hurting? Well, first of all, we must warn the unruly. Secondly, he says back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, comfort the feeble-minded. Say, who's the feeble-minded? These might be those who are discouraged. They don't have the strength to feel strong in their faith for some reason right now. Paul speaks a lot to those who are struggling in 1 Thessalonians. He speaks about those who are struggling over the death of a loved one. I already read those verses in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. When you go through the, a death of a family member, it makes you feel weak, doesn't it? It takes away your strength. It's like you've been cut off at the knees, so to speak. We've got to encourage those folks. Comfort the feeble-minded. Perhaps they're discouraged by the persecution that comes from those who don't believe the same thing that they believe. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, it says, For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, who both killed the Lord Jesus, their own prophets, and have persecuted us. They please not God and are contrary to all men. Now, this may not be something that you've experienced, but I would tell you, the longer you serve the Lord, this could take place in your life. That somebody would persecute you, treat you badly for your faith in Jesus Christ. I will tell you, here in America, we have really no clue of what persecution can become like was looking through and reading some stories even this week. I've got a little book on my shelf called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you read through that history of people who gave their lives for their faith. They were tortured and maimed and killed. I read of one lady who, she was a young woman in her late teens and they had set up the king in her land, and the king declared himself to be the head of the church. Folks, no earthly king is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. They came to her and they said, If you will 
just say that the king is the head of the church. You can go and do whatever you like. For a lot of us, we just, go, we just say what we had to say to get by with it. But not this lady. She said, I won't renounce Christ. Because to her to say that anyone was the head of the church other than Christ was to renounce who Christ was. And they said, well, if you don't do this, we're, you're going to lose your life. She said, I, I can't do it. They took this lady out and they put her there out on the edge of the ocean where the tide comes in. And they staked her out far enough so that as the tide would come in, she would drown. The, the story is told that as the, the tide began to come in, there was one of the soldiers that went out to her and picked up her head and said, if you'll just say that the king is the head of the church, you, we'll let you go free. And she said, I won't. He said, Jesus Christ yeah. is the head of the church. She gave her life that day. He said, just for a few words... No, because she had faith in one that was greater than all this world. And you say, that was awful, that was awful, that was horrible. Yes, but I'll tell you, she's in a far better place today. She's doing better than any of you or me this morning. She's with her Lord. She's walking on streets of gold. Perhaps you're discouraged by persecution. Perhaps you could be discouraged like folks there in Thessalonica were by the failure to live according to God's plan. Any of you ever read God's Word and you say, wow, this is good stuff, but this is impossible. I could never do all these things that the Bible tells me to do. Sometimes we can read God's Word and you say, I'm just discouraged. Is it even worth trying to do what I'm supposed to do? You know, Paul wrote to this church about this as well. Chapter 4. Verses 3 through 8, he says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And you say, that sounds impossible to live like that. That's why over here in chapter 5, he says, comfort. Encourage the feeble-minded. That's what a church ought to do, isn't it? If you're here this morning and you say, I'm discouraged. I've lost a loved one. This Christianity thing seems too hard to do what I'm supposed to do. It seems difficult. There's persecution all around us. This world is on its way to hell. I'm discouraged. I want you to know there's comfort in the body of Christ. I'm comforted this morning to come with some other believers and hear people sing, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. I'm encouraged to know that Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. I'm encouraged by the song that Brother Ben just sang a few minutes ago, Complete in Thee. You know, on my own, I'm not very complete. I have a lot of missing parts. But with the Lord, I'm complete. Complete in Him. 
I'm so thankful that God's word shall stand, that nothing can ever take me away from the love of God. Sure, life's hard. It's very difficult. There are many hard things that come along. There's comfort with the Lord. And as children of God, as members of His church, we ought to be comforting the feeble-minded. Comfort those who are discouraged. Then he says, thirdly, support the weak. This could be those who are physically or spiritually weak. Support them. To support means to help or to hold on to those that are weak. The idea of lifting them up, holding them up. It's kind of like if you had broken your leg. You might have a crutch to help you walk. It's supporting you. You might have somebody else. I've seen this playing enough sports. Somebody goes down and a couple guys get on either side of him and they pick him up and they put their arms around his shoulders and they help him limp off the field. Supporting the weak. I think that's a wonderful picture of what ought to be happening in our church. Those that are weak, other people come along and say, come on, let's get up. Let's support the weak. Having somebody that's praying for you. Having somebody that's calling you to check up on you. Having somebody to come by. Having a group of guys that got up early yesterday morning, went over and laid some floors for a family that's going through a time where they're feeling weak. That's a blessing. That's supporting the weak. See, in all these things, it's not speaking disparagingly on those who are hurting, but rather challenging those of us who are encouraged in the Lord to rally around them and encourage them and lift them up and help them. Why? Because the reality is all of us as human beings are going to go through times where we're the hurting ones. You're going to be hurting. I'm going to be hurting. All of us will face things that hurt us and we need somebody to come along and say, I'm here to support you. I'm here to comfort you. Oh, you're getting off. You're not doing what you ought to be doing. It's good to have somebody who will warn you. Say, you need to be here. Don't miss. You're getting out of, out of line. You're, you're, you're getting lazy. I need that. You need that. The body needs that. This is how we help those who are hurting. He says, support the weak. This is supporting weak brothers as beloved fellow strugglers, not desert them as ignorant or unimportant stragglers. That's not original with me. I thought that was a great line. Because so often we can tend to look down on those that are weak. It's hard to look down on somebody when you're up next to them, picking them up and helping to carry them. No, you're showing that they matter. They have value. They're not some unimportant straggler. Oh, get the carcass off the field so we can get back to the game. No. Right? It's about loving them. This person was in the fight with me. Let me help them. You know, when soldiers go off to war, I've read many stories of this, and you probably have too, how one of the People in the unit might get wounded and they're out there on the battlefield. What do those other soldiers in the unit do? They rally around. They say, we're going to go figure out how to get that guy and bring him back. He's not some unimportant 
straggler. He's a fellow struggler. We're not going to leave anybody behind. And in a church, we ought to have the same mentality. No sheep left behind. Because I would ask you, who is unimportant to God? Which one of you doesn't matter to God? Which person out there in this world doesn't matter to God? I would tell you they all matter. For God so loved the world. You matter to God. Your neighbors matter to Him. Your co-workers matter to Him. All those in our church matter to Him. We've not how somehow graduated to a higher level of mattering and being more important because of something we've done. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. Support the weak. Everyone matters to God. Number four, be patient. Do I have to say those last two words? To everyone. He says it right here, be patient toward all men. You say, why does our Bible say men? Well, just a little idea here. In the Greek, all the words have masculine, feminine, neuter. And so when it's speaking about this, to make it agree grammatically, it needs to say men, but this is referring to all people. So men, you don't have a buy here, a, a free pass. Well, I don't have to be patient with my wife. No, you do. <laughs> just the men, just the men. No, no. Be patient toward everybody. So it's a good translation. It's the way it ought to be. It's how it makes sense grammatically. But we need to understand in the context, this is speaking about everybody. Amen. Be patient toward all men, toward everybody. So that means then I have to be patient with the unruly. I have to be patient with the feeble-minded. I have to be patient with the weak. It's easy to be patient with people that don't have any problems, right? It's harder to be patient with somebody that we feel in some way is lagging behind us or slowing us down. He says be patient towards all men. Why? Because they all matter. Everybody matters to God. They're all created in His image. And Jesus died for them all. Be patient toward all men. This is what relationships ought to be looking like in a church. This is how we can be helping those who are hurting. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? That's patience. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Aren't you thankful that God was patient with you? you? Say, well, I got saved when I was four years old. Well, that's wonderful. I was too. But God's been patient with me. God is patient. He's long-suffering. Why? Because He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. They all, everybody matters to God. He's patient. And if we're going to be like the Lord has called us to be, we need to be patient. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There it is. I think we like the word patience better than long-suffering because long-suffering is very descriptive of how we have to be patient. 
suffer long. Be patient. James says it's the trying of your faith that worketh patience. You say, patience doesn't sound like that good of a thing. No, I will tell you, I don't think patience is a gift. Patience is something that you have to earn through the trying of your faith. You're not born with patience. You might be more easygoing than somebody else, but everybody has a limit. How do you grow your patience? Some of you have said, Lord, give me patience. Well, you're asking Him to stretch you. And stretching is painful, especially when you're 20 years removed from high school sports or 30 years or 40. Stretching just gets more painful, doesn't it, Anthony? It just, it just hurts. But we have to do it because otherwise we get out there on the soccer field on Friday night like some of us do, and, and then we're really in pain because we didn't stretch. It takes stretching why, to grow our strength, to make us better able to compete and do all those things in an athletic sense. Spiritually speaking, we're getting stretched when we're going through difficulties so that our patience can grow. Be patient to everyone. Someone who's patient is someone who's not quickly or easily provoked to emotional outbursts or action without thought. Be patient towards everyone. So, those, these four ideas, warning the unruly, comforting the feeble-minded, supporting the weak, being patient towards all men, this is how we help those who are hurting. But now for the last two ideas, how do we help those who hurt others? Because that's a reality. How should we respond to those who hurt other people? Look at verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. What's the natural reaction to somebody that hurts you? Hurt them back, right? And give them more than they gave me so they don't come back again, right? Hurt them back. But right here in verse 15, he's very clear. See that none, that's no one, nobody, render evil for evil. Say, but doesn't the Bible say something like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Yes, it does. And that's speaking about the righteousness of God's law and what we deserve for what we do wrong. But be very thankful, as I am, that you and I don't get what we deserve. Because if we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here this morning. I'll just put it like that. See that none render evil for evil. It's not your job to do the eye for the eye thing. That's God's job. God will make everything just and righteous, and He'll align everything like He wants to do it. It's your job and my job to see that none render evil for evil. Somebody hurts you! How do you help them? You don't hurt them back. Don't retaliate. Romans 12 verses 14 through 18 says it this way, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. 
be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, be at peace with all men. Say, well, not much lies in me. I don't have much wherewithal to be at peace with all men. That's why we need the Lord. You can't do this in your own strength. I'll tell you, if we pull out of church this morning, and I'm just pulling up to the edge of the parking lot, and all of a sudden you come whipping around me and want to cut me off, what's my reaction? I'm going to let you know. And then as we pull out here on Curtain Street, I'm going to pull out around you and see if I can't cut you off before we get to the stop sign. Yes. Yes. And boy, you better watch out if you happen to get to the restaurant a minute before I do. Because I want that table first. I've got things to do, don't you know? Isn't that how we live? It sounds good at church. But living it out in life is another thing. See that none render evil for evil. You say, how, how can I live like that? Only through the strength of God. And I would tell you, and through the encouragement that comes through a local church. When you see somebody else struggling, you see somebody else helping. You see somebody else encouraging, somebody else loving. Why? Because we're part of the same body. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. He says in Matthew 5, verse 43 and 44, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. So, yeah, that's normal. That's how we ought to live. Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So you say, well, what are some practical steps to not retaliating? I would tell you, start praying for them. Start praying for them. It's harder to be mean to somebody that you're praying for. It's easier to do good to those who do bad to you when you begin to pray for them. And some of you are thinking, that's all right, I'll pray those imprecatory prayers on them. That God will just wipe them off the face of the earth. No. Jesus died for them just like he died for you. And God can take care of that if he, if he needs to. God will make sure that righteousness prevails. You don't have to fight somebody else to get what's yours. God will take care of it. God will. He'll resolve all those wrongs. He'll make everything right. He'll work it all out to His glory. But God allows us, as we looked at even on Wednesday night as we're studying through Ecclesiastes together, God allows adversity in our lives. Hard things. And there are great benefits to adversity. When somebody's coming at you and trying to take you out and do whatever they can, it's because there's something wrong in their heart. They need Jesus. 
You say, well, they claim to be a Christian. Christians need Jesus too. <laughs> right? We all need to do what's right. So when you turn wrong for wrong, it's, it doesn't make it right, does it? It's always wrong. See that none render evil for evil. And then he says, even if you somehow missed it, here in verse number 15, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So he has this big blanket statement at the end of verse 15. He says, all right, if you're struggling with All right, well, who do I really have to warn? Who do I really need to be good to? Who do I need to be kind to? Are are there any exception clauses in this contract somewhere where I can wiggle my way out? It's kind of like that man who came to Jesus one day and Jesus talked about loving your neighbor. And the man came to Jesus and he says, but Lord, who is my neighbor? I mean, really? I mean, I'll I'll take Anthony as my neighbor, but I'm not sure about these people. I don't know if they'll be my neighbor. We like to figure out who we can exclude and who we can keep in. We live in a world that says, yes, we want to be inclusive. No, we live in a world that's very exclusive. They call it inclusive. I can't even say the word, being inclusive. But really it's about saying, no, we won't include you unless you think just like we do. Or unless you say everything that we do is okay. But it's Jesus that wants to include. And you know what? He doesn't just talk about it. He died to make that possible. He died so that the sins of the world could be forgiven. See, that man came to Jesus and he says, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus then proceeds to tell him the story that you probably know, that we know as the Good Samaritan. He said there was a priest that went down one day on the road to Jericho and he passed by a man who had been caught among thieves and thieves had robbed him and hurt him and left him on the side of the road to die. And as the priest passed by, the Bible says he looked at the man and then he went by on the other side. He stayed as far away from him as he could. And you would think in the Jewish culture, who ought to be caring for hurting people? Well, it ought to be priests. But it wasn't the priest. And he says, then there was a Levite that came by. See, the Levites were those who helped to worship God and and sing and minister in the temple. The Levite, he went by and he looked closely at the man. And then he went on his way. He had more important things to do than to stop and to help hurting people. I mean, you don't know what kind of disease that man might have. If you get involved in his life, it might... Mess up your schedule. If you get involved in helping a hurting person, it might get a little bit of their dirt on you. If you get involved in helping somebody who's hurting, they might hurt you, not realizing that you're trying to help them. Those are all natural reactions that come to mind. The Bible then says, Jesus said that then there came along a Samaritan. See, as soon as Jesus said the word Samaritan, all of the Jews would have listened up because they hated the Samaritans. Here came this Samaritan down that road and he saw the hurting man. And you know the story. He went to the man. The Bible says he bound up his wounds. He put medicine on him. He poured oil on it. And then he loaded the man on his own donkey. And he took him to a place where he could stay. And he paid for the man's lodging. 
And he told the innkeeper, he said, take care of this man. And he said, when I return, I'll pay whatever he owes. You mean he wrote a blank check for this guy? Yes. You say, that's too much. That's too far. It wasn't too much for Jesus to come down from heaven, to leave the streets of gold and the royal robes of righteousness and to be born in a manger and then to live up a very poor and simple life only to then grow up, be persecuted for preaching the gospel, be treated awfully by the religious and political leaders of the day and then to be taken and crucified on the cross for your sin and for my sin, for the sins of the world. See, Jesus came to help those who are hurting. He came to help you and He came to help me. He came to help this whole world. And Jesus says here, speaking, God speaking, I'm sorry, through the Apostle Paul tells us here at the end of verse 15, ever follow that which is good. All right, I'll do what's good. But then he continues on, both among yourselves, that's speaking in the church. So if somebody does wrong to me in this church, what do I have to do? I have to be kind back to them. I have to do good. And then he says, not just among yourselves, but unto all men. So that means even outside the church. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I'm not surprised when a sinner acts like a sinner. I'm not surprised when an unsaved person acts like that. And you shouldn't be either. But see, what sometimes we do as Christians, one, we either get surprised by it and get really upset and offended. Why would they do this to me? Folks, they don't know better. Or even if they do, they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside them to give them strength to do better. Or maybe we're not surprised by it, so this is the other response a lot of Christians do. We say, we know it's bad out there, so let me build really big walls and put up all these big gates because I'm not ever letting those people in here with us. They're never going to hurt me. That's not what God's called us to do either. You don't have to be like them to win them. But God has said that we are to be in the world, not of the world. Amen. So that means we've got to go to them. We've got to love them. Care for them. Not render evil for evil, but do good unto all men. Both among yourselves and unto all men. This is a very simple message. I studied and studied, and I thought, I want to make this deep and complicated. No, it's not deep and complicated. It's very straightforward. But we need straightforward, don't we? Because when it's complicated, we can come up with excuses for why we're not doing it, or I don't fully understand. No, we fully understand. Warn the unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward everybody, all men. See that none render evil for evil. Don't retaliate. They deserve it. Yeah. Don't give them what they deserve. Give them what Christ gave you. Give them love. And do good to all men. Six things that God wants us to do as we are in relationship one another in a church and as we're in relationship with people who aren't in the church. 
You see, how are we ever going to reach somebody outside the church if we behave just like they do? We retaliate. We get what's ours. We're impatient. Say, well, I thought the gospel changed you. The gospel is more than just your fire insurance, your get-out-of-jail, your get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel ought to be changing us from the inside out. There's a lot of people running around calling themselves Christians that don't live like it. I'm not able to judge what's in their heart. That's between them and God. But I would tell you, if you're going to live like a believer, live like a follower, a child of God, be willing to warn those who might be unruly. Be willing to support the weak, comfort the feeble-minded. Be patient toward all men. Do good. Don't retaliate. How do I do those things? We need the Lord. We're going to close the service here in a word of prayer. And we're going to have a time to pray and ask God to help us. Some of you this morning may say, God, I need to confess some sin to you. I've not lived like you've called me to live. I don't help hurting people like I should. Christ left us His example. And He's given us His command in the Word. This isn't optional. This is His exhortation, His challenge for us to do it. Maybe somebody here this morning says, Pastor, I'm in, the, I'm in the other group of people. I'm in the hurting group. I'm hurting this morning. I want you to know there's help, there's hope for you here. Because we have the Lord. We have His Word. We have the Holy Spirit. Whichever boat you're in this morning, I pray that you would tie on firmly to Christ and follow Him. Would you stand for me, with me as we pray? Ben's going to play a song on the piano. And as he plays, after I close in prayer, if God's spoken to you, maybe you need to kneel back where you're at. Maybe you want to come up here and I can pray with you personally. Maybe you just want to come up front here and pray and follow God and whatever He calls you to do to be faithful to help those who are hurting. Father, I pray that you'd help us now. Lord, as I look at this list of six things, I look at these as wonderful ideals, but somewhat difficult, very difficult in some cases to put into my life. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I confess to you that I'm not strong enough to support all the weak. I'm not encouraged enough to be able to comfort all of the feeble-minded. Sometimes even in my own life, I can deal with unruliness. Or my patience runs thin at times. Lord, when people do evil to me, I, my first tendency is to have to push down that desire to do evil back to them instead of doing good. Lord, I need you. I believe I stand in a group of people today that need you as well. I pray that we would call on you for help and encouragement. Lord, there's... I'm sure someone here this morning, maybe a number of people who are hurting, they're discouraged. They have things that have caused them to be upset. Lord, we need your comfort and your help. We need one another this morning. Help us to look to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.